Imagine smoking weed in the street without cops harassing. Imagine thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Iyal Baraf. Thank you guys so much for enduring the long legs bef- between episodes. I kid you not, life is just spiraling out of control, but we thank you guys so much for tuning in. Today, we have a special, special topic, um, and we have a special guest as well. Um, we're going to be uh, touching on the the rebranding topic we brought up last time with a special guest who will discuss their experience branching out. We made comments that said, you know, men have it a lot easier. So hear what he has to say about how hard it is. Again, thank you for tuning in to Iyad Baraf. Imagine that. I free all my All right, so we're on. Um, so yeah, like Susan, am I using your real name? Yeah, that's fine. Oh God. Okay, so <laughs> it's okay. Oh we already God. gave our real names last time. <laughs> okay, so like Susan said, we're just gonna jump right into it. Um, so we do have a special guest with us today. Um, his name is Mohammed, and um, so we did mention in, on the last pod that men have it easier in terms of rebranding. So Mohammed's gonna talk about his experience and his perspective on whether that segment or that. That notion is right. So without further ado, Mohammed, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, thanks a lot for the introduction, Amina. I really appreciate you and Susan having me on your show. Um, I really don't know if uh, I'm... Let's just say this is an awkward conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but I really appreciate uh, being able to speak on this because I think this is a very important topic. Mm-hmm. in today's society because a lot of young guys do not understand uh, their behaviors in a sense, what it means to be a man. Mm-hmm. We, me, my name is Mohammed. I grew up in Toronto in my 30s. I've failed a lot of my life. I've had a lot of um, experience failing, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, to those experiences, um, Allah has blessed me with the ability to understand that the, I had a lot of tox, toxic traits. And in order to uh, move forward and rebrand myself, I had to take accountability for my actions and my words. And uh, I'm really excited about this. And I'm going to let you guys uh, start off the uh, podcast and let's just get into it. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you for the introduction, Mohammed. Um so you had just touched on something real quick, and I think it's best if, you know, I get you to talk more about it, because you said that you had these toxic traits. You know, I, yeah. f- for me, I'm thinking this is something that you probably didn't realize you had. So what was that moment that you realized you had these toxic traits? And then how did you, like, analyze these traits and what you were doing wrong to become this person you are today? Uh, I would say I remember... Um one of my friends telling me that his mom used to tell him when he was a kid to lock himself in the room and, and uh, talk to himself. And I used to find it funny. And uh, during my experience, I spent two and a half years in Somalia. I just came back in 2019. And during that experience, I had uh, time to disconnect from the world that I was entrenched in, in Canada. And uh, it allowed me to see who I really was because now that I had uh, none of my friends around me, none of my family, and uh, I was financially broke, I had no job, no, I was stuck. So let's just say I was at my lowest point in my life and I realized that I spent my entire life blaming circumstances and um, not taking accountability for my experience my part always saying it was somebody else that did this or this is what happened to me this is why and uh i feel like that experience allowed me to open my eyes to who i really was i spent i dealt with uh, i don't know how to explain it but i went through uh, depression and uh, i didn't know how to deal with it mm-hmm. because I spent a lot of time 
focused on an imaginary image I had of myself. Mm-hmm. And that, that was really detrimental to my growth as a person because I spent my time protecting an imaginary image instead of developing myself. And why do you think that was the case? Like, and I, I assume, because Somalis in general, we're very outwardly focused. We don't really focus on how you are as a person inside. It's more so if you portray that good person on the exterior. Like for females, if you wear hijab, you're automatically deemed to be better than the non-hijabi, which is not necessarily the case, right? So do you think our community as a whole has played... Um, a part in some of your choices because as a man, you know, you I guess you're not meant to cry or be emotional or talk about your feelings. So if you're suppressing it to have this imaginary, you know, figure of yourself, do you think our mm-hmm. culture allowed it or our community allowed you to play this part? Like, did it have a part to play in it? Definitely, because uh, I realized the environment actually can make you or break you Mm -hmm. and um with the somali community i'd say it uh there's a lot of good and there's a lot of uh toxicity where we judge each other based on every single action we watch each other's uh moves and uh i i look at it in terms of i remember um one of my uncles when i was in somalia telling me that how can you eat your food on your plate when you're watching somebody else's plate. It doesn't make sense, right? You're not able to put the spoon in your mouth while you're looking somewhere else, right? So it, it relates back to your own life. How can you um, work oh, on yourself mm-hmm. if you're constantly focused on other people. the outward, other people's uh, output? Mm, so That's pretty big. So when you look, that mm, is common. I notice a lot of people do right? that. They yeah, watch what other people are doing, but yet they're not focusing on their own growth. Yeah, yeah. We we get caught up in, in uh, other people's actions against us and not mm-hmm. focusing on our own actions. Because at the end of the day, if you look at it, the only thing we can really control is our own actions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like this, we have eight, oh, almost eight billion people in the world. Yeah. There's eight billion different worlds that collide on one earth. Mm-hmm. Everybody got a different story. You ever, have you guys ever watched that movie uh, Crash? Yeah, yeah. Like the yeah, one you, with you ever, Keanu Reeves? No, Crash. The one with um, no, Don Cheadle. The Chido. one with Ludacris. Oh, da, yeah, Don Airplane, Chido. right? No, it's like basically... No, no sorry. I'm not good with movie titles. Go ahead, explain the, the, the plot of the story. Of the... So the movie is based on uh, racism. So you have uh, different characters. Um, okay, and, I remember. And they... Yeah, and they profile all their different lives and they show how their worlds collide. So there's, I remember one scene where a police officer, he uh, pulls over a black, I forgot what his name was. Uh, Terrence Howard, right? Terrence Howard, right? And his and wife. And his wife. So, yeah. And, and then he, he feels uh, up the wife outside the car. No, I remember yeah. this movie. <laughs> yeah, and we, we looked at him like he was uh, messed up, right? And then you see the next scene where his father is going through cancer and he's not able to handle it. And uh, there's a saying that really resonates with me. It's called uh, hurt people, hurt people. Absolutely. So somebody who's emotionally broken will, instead of uh, trying to fix themselves, they mm-hmm. will hurt other people because they justify it as this is the way life is. 100%. But there has to be some kind of accountability once you get... Like, I understand that, that, that saying, I've heard it so often as an excuse for some people yeah. to act a certain way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, but she's hurt. She's going through something. So you got to allow her. But why is it that I myself have to take it? I, you know? I, I don't think mm-hmm. that's the case. I think it's just showing empathy. And showing empathy is yeah. fine. But I mean, if the, can, the behavior continues, that you know what I mean? That, that notion cannot be applied every single time. Sooner or later, that person's going to have to wake up in their grown self and say, okay, you know what? I'm an adult. I can't be acting like this. Absolutely. One, two times. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, allow you're going through something really, you know, detrimental. It's mentally weighing on you. Okay, fine. You know, mm-hmm. you have to just allow it. Right. Sooner or later, like yeah. that hurt. Hurt people, hurt people. She's going, th- no, because I don't have to be the, the, the person who takes the hurt, yeah. you know, yeah. and allows it because I'm creating that behavior. So, I mean, I don't want to branch over, but like, 
Is there any particular moments that, or so let's say a habit, like was there any habits that you noticed like was the biggest or the hardest to get rid of? Definitely. And uh, that would, I would say that habit is lying. So there, Are you there's saying a you thing by, uh, <laughs> yes, definitely. I, uh, I caught myself uh, lying to myself mostly. Uh, my mom, when I was younger, used to say all the time, Mohammed, you're only lying to yourself. A liar doesn't know that they're a liar. Mm-hmm. And there's a saying by Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu he said, uh, a liar is not part of my ummah. Mm-hmm. He didn't say a murderer. He didn't say a rapist. He didn't say uh, somebody who does bad things. He said a liar because lying opens the door for everything else. Mm. That's deep. You know, so um, I feel like I didn't realize that I, I was a liar because... I was so fixated on trying to maintain an image that I had in my head and protect that instead of uh, being honest and growing as a person. I have a question. How, how did you develop this image in your head? Like this person that you wanted to be, where, where was that? Or what was that yeah, image? Yeah. What did you think you were? Is that, I don't want to I say thought, it rudely. Well, like, <laughs> no, like what, what was this image yeah. or what perception? I thought I was what did special. you think you were and what were you actually? I thought I was special. But what but, does special uh, mean? Like, I thought I was, I don't know how to explain it, but I... Like, break uh, it down. You thought you were inte- is smart. Did you think you were, like, break it down? I thought I, I, thought I knew everything. Like, mm. as young and dumb, when you think you know how life is, you know what you're doing is the right way, you think that everything will just work out because you think, and I thought I was somebody special, basically. And because of that image of arrogance that I had about myself, I wasn't able to deal with hardships. I used to, instead of trying to uh, overcome hardships, I used to focus on uh, dwelling on it and saying, why me? Why me? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. saying why me at the end of the day is very ignorant. Who am I to say why me? And why am I going through something? Like, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a nobody, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So that really woke me up. When you realized you weren't that person, that, I'm a that nobody. special person. I mean, nobody is, uh, yeah. I mean, nobody is <laughs> nobody. You, <laughs> but let me tell you guys a story. So um, there was a king of the Roman empire called Marcus Aurelius. Mm-hmm. And uh, he used to have a man every time that they would do a ceremony and they would put the crown on his head. He would have that man whisper in his ear saying, you are but a man to remind him that he is nothing special because at the end of the day, our, uh, our egos can run wild mm-hmm. if you do not check yourself. 100%. What kind of environment were you in to have like that allowed you to cultivate this kind of mindset? Of like what, what the started, path is yeah, special? The trajectory that he was headed on when he was young. Are you kidding me? It's our upbringing. No offense. But, 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 no, but let's mothers let's, let's, treat sons way differently but, than daughters. So give us an understanding as to what your environment was at that time. Well, I'd say um, the, the importance of having a father around, we don't realize it until later on. Mm-hmm. So me, I didn't have the opportunity to grow up with my father. But my mom was my mother and my father. She's, she's, uh, she's actually my hero. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate all she's done for me. Mm-hmm. But a mother cannot discipline a son. She doesn't have it because a mother's ability to give her unconditional love does not allow her to do the hard thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I was pretty wild where I didn't care about anything. I was living in my own world. Like a lot of young Somali guys, we're, 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 uh, we're, a, bit, we're a bit crazy, but what can we do? It's, it's, it's the fact that we need, uh, we need discipline in order for a boy to grow. He needs to be told what is right and wrong. 100%. Do you think the reason why there are so, so many Somali 
um, instances of violence, killings, murders, drug trade, all these things. Do you think it's for the most part because they didn't have a father figure around or like an active father figure around? Um, yes and no. That plays a part, but it's also, it's, there's, a, there's a major identity crisis when it comes to uh, Somali boys? young Somali guys because they don't know who they are. When you, when you get thrown into a, a new environment where you do not fit in mm-hmm. at all, you're not, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't feel like Somalis, um, we're not accepted by uh, black community. We're not accepted by brown community. We're not accepted by white community. And uh, we're different. But at the same time, our culture is not, it's, it's, a, it's a dying, it's a dying thing. It's like we're not, uh, we don't understand what it means to be Somali. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you, if you do not know where you came from, you don't know where you're headed. 100%. So if you had to, knowing what we know, and you've gone through this and you've realized it, what do you think can save our Somali brothers? what they have, appreciate it for one, and also uh, to understand where they came from. I have so many questions on this now because <laughs> it's like, it's like, but it's, it's not forced. The parents aren't doing it. You're the one that's trying to impose it. Um, it's crazy. I didn't say Dakhan I would say it allows them to see who they're like. But that's Dakhan Ellis, like, to understand who you are, understand your culture. I mean, it has a negative connotation to it because kids are getting forced to go into Dakan <laughs> Elis. Yeah. Parents are yeah. using it as a last resort. It's a it's a reactive <laughs> measure versus a proactive measure, right? If it had been done yeah. at a young age, like 10, and then the kids go and they get to learn these things, I think it would have had a better um, influence on the kids. But they're sending them there. Parents are leaving back to Canada or the U.S. or the U.K., wherever they're coming from. And these kids are literally surviving on the streets. Nobody cares about them. They're looked at as a paycheck, Right. Dakhan Ellis is so messed up. It's messed up, but I, I wouldn't say that's all of them because when I spent two and a half years, I've seen, seen um, people that were sent back and uh, it really helped them change their perspective on reality at an older age. But you're right, majority of, uh, of, of the people that get sent back mm-hmm. really uh, are, are not actually um, helped out. They're just dumped there to 100%. figure it out on their own. And the vices that we have here are, are there now because of globalization, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's it's like you know, don't go on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was Dakan Elist. I wouldn't call it as a Dakan Elist, but I got I went back to Somalia at 14 to 16. And okay. but the difference was is that my entire family went, right? Like we packed up oh. our house, moved me, my two brothers, went to Somalia. You know, my dad was already there, he had everything arranged for us. And it was the best time of my life. Like, the best time. You know, I got the safety yeah. of my home. My parents were there, lovey-dovey. You know, everything was great. But then on the flip side, I also met a lot of people because we all went to private school. I met a lot of kids who were sent there. No parents, no nothing. Like, you can tell mm. by how they looked, Rifat. You know what I mean? In the streets, doing all reckless stuff. Like, Akligoda was somewhere else. And then when you ask them, why'd you guys come? Like, where's your parents? I got sent here by myself. This is when the guy and this was just starting. So mm-hmm. I think if the parents really were focused on the children and not like the stress that it brings them, they would have all went down. But when you have 17 kids and they're like a 20 year gap, you can't afford to just leave, you know, the entire family to go back home and do all this stuff. I think, I don't know. Yeah. Somalis don't not, it's not plan anything. But you have to, also, you have to, you have to give our parents generation Credit, credit because they fled from war. Yeah. War is not easy. It, the effects of war have you see. You still see the effects of the the civil war today, mm-hmm. where the ripple effect. Now you see um, kids who dealt uneducated with people who had PTSD, ignorant. Yeah, yeah. and you, you have a, like kids now who who don't who have no education after thirty years of war who have no education 100%. or they do have uh, an education that that's not something that any other country will accept. You have a lot of kids jumping in the Mediterranean 
key because they see no future in their country. And that's very, very sad to see. And uh, we have an, an entire diaspora with people that um, are confused identity-wise. But they're also, some of them are they, entitled. Like the ones that already live here, like us. We are yeah. somewhat yeah. entitled. <laughs> You know what I mean? You first go back home, it's first world problem. Exactly. Like if we had the, the, the struggle that these kids were, there's no shuckle and you have to go catch a boat. You don't know how to swim. You got to hope the boat lands in yeah. Italy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Can you imagine we had something mm. like that? Go take a boat to Alaska to see if you can survive? No. One demonlahai. We're test tube babies. We're honest, right? We're first generation. Well, we, we our parents didn't know nothing. And they had so much fear that they used to project their fears on us all day. We couldn't don't do go outside, nothing. Don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that put barriers on us, mental barriers mm-hmm. that we should be able to take off for the younger generation so they can learn from our failures. That's how I feel. That's a good point because uh, we were test tube kids, you know. <laughs> our parents try to raise us as if we were back home. They didn't know. Yeah. Like everything was forbidden. Don't talk to boys. Don't play outside six o'clock. You don't want that kine calf. Like think about something. This this it was just it was too much. Like the way my parents raised me and the way they raised my 15, 17 year old sister is kushakomaha. Totally different. Totally different, right? What do you mean? I could have given birth to my 17 year old sister. Like the gap is crazy and totally different. They, she has freedom. She goes to university in a different province. I mean, she's still home because no. of the pandemic, but, and, and, and it's almost like there was never a, a ceiling above her. She could dream as far as she wanted to. Whereas our generation mm-hmm. was like, you guys, like, you know, do this, but stay close, stay close. You don't want to go too far. Like don't branch out too far. Stay within this realm. You know, I don't know. I, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely, do you feel like approaching parents were over too overprotective? I don't even think it was overprotective. I didn't. I don't think they. You have to understand with the internet and globalization, things definitely change because now everything's at the tip of your hands, right? And our parents yeah. have been here long enough yeah. to understand mm. the realm, like the culture, mm. the legal system, yeah. all these things, right? Mm. But yeah, with us, they are comfortable exactly. But because we came into the country in the '80s slash '90s, right? There were also a bunch of kids who came that were already grown, mm-hmm. like. 11, 12, 13 in the 80s, whereas we're newborns, and they seen them fumble and fall. And they're like, no, 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 that person did this. You guys must do this. It wasn't overprotective. They were trying to shift our gear to not go in a direction that someone else may have taken, right? Right. And it only they only realized after so many years that, okay, let them sort of branch out and figure this out. You know, we can't stop restricting them from different paths because someone else went through that same path and it worked out for them. So maybe let's just you know, let loose a little bit, yeah. right? Yeah. I think mm-hmm. it was a learning lesson for them. and But I think with our new generation, like the 30-year-olds who are having kids right now, yeah. we're just not equipped. We, we, <laughs> we don't understand this world just as bad because we had parents who grew up back home and we're trying to imply, apply that with these new kids. And it's some just- Some of that, some of that. Some and of plus that. what we developed through growing up, right? Yeah. My thing yeah. is that, okay, so there's a few of us that saw the light, mm-hmm. right? And we saw our arrows in our way, you know? And we learned from it. Yeah. And what about those who never seen the light and now are producing children and are- Like alcoholics who produce children? Well, people that I'm don't- just, make the, <laughs> just people that don't make the best choices in life, right? And they're having children mm. now. And then mm. they're imposing those views or, or whatever lifestyle that they have on their, their children now. What about that? Oh, you mean like the liberal sense? Yeah. <sighs> that one's hard. Well, you know, like I feel like this world is a test, mm-hmm. right? And uh, temporary. We have, to, we have to always remember that this world is just temporary. And it's, uh, to a believer, it's health. So the challenges that you face in this world... Um, are actually a, be- a blessing. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We don't know who's good and who's bad because that's the unseen. Everything comes down to intention, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a verse in the Quran that Allah says, uh, "Though there may be uh, good in something bad, and there may be uh, bad in something good, Allah knows. Man knows not." Mm-hmm. So, so our challenges that we went through could be a blessing for us to prepare us for something better. Mm-hmm. So. Everything comes down to your mindset, right? We can all agree that mindset is the most uh, important thing because it 
it's, uh, it sets you up for all the challenges that you face. Mm-hmm. So if you go into, um, into any challenge and you have a positive mindset thinking that something good is going to come from this, you will overcome it. And if you have that mindset where you think everything that is bad that you go through is, uh, is, um, how do you say it? Um, a curse or, um, a punishment, then what did you really learn from that? Except feeling like you were wrong. Mm-hmm. You don't. So, um, life is all about learning. 100%. And we, we do have people that do go through hardships where they have, uh, addictions and, and, um, they make bad mistakes, but that doesn't define them. Mm-hmm. Those are just challenges in their, in, in their uh, life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I understand that it's challenges in their life, but our community is so cruel if you have any type of addiction, right? Um, If you're labeled as the second you're labeled, it's very hard Mm -hmm. to shake that off. You know what I mean? Like if you are a toog, you're a toog, doesn't matter if you're leading prayer, you will always be reminded that you are a toog. If you were an alki, you're going to be reminded. If you were, you know what I mean? Like it's just... We're not very forgiving. You know, what I, <laughs> you know what I feel like? I feel like the Somali community is like mean girls. <laughs> it is. Every Hoya is that blonde. <laughs> but, but, and she'll never bring up the stuff she did 30 years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's going to talk about you though. <laughs> yeah. But it's very true. We can't shake it off, right? So, and that's why we said for men, it's easy, even though it's hard, it's easier for you to shake it off because a girl will always be reminded. You know what I mean? Because a man will be like, I'll tell you, "Mm, continue. I'll tell you a story. When I was in Somalia, I was sitting in a cafe and there was a bunch of old men sitting with me and uh, a young guy in his 20s was walking by. And one of the old men called him over. He's like, come here, sit down with us. And he sat down and he told them, Hey, uh, you know your father? He used to walk around these streets 30 years ago, drunk. Oh. And I was shocked. Like, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. That he would bring up something that his father did 30 years ago. But at the end of the day, uh, pressure can make diamonds. So we do have very, uh, our people are very, uh, how to say, they're, aggr- they're passive aggressive with their words, but they have great hearts. I'll never change Somali for anything because at the end of the day, if I'm in Timbuktu right now and I see a Somali person, I'm getting happy because that person will help me regardless of what I, what I'm going through. That's true. So you gotta, you gotta take the good with the bad. And, uh, these words are just words at the end of the day. There's a saying by Eleanor Roosevelt. She said, uh, nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. Mm, so your reaction is your consent? Yeah. So if you react to somebody's words, then I feel like you possibly might believe it. Okay. Subconsciously. Because words are just words at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. And if you do get hurt by these words, then you're possibly, you might believe what they're saying or it might by you reacting, it might cause you to start questioning yourself. So uh, just, so that was one of the questions we had. It was when, when do you, um, I guess uh, we all care about other people's perspectives of us, right? So when is, like, how do you negate from caring what people say? It's very difficult, Wallahi. It's very, very difficult. Very, not very, very, oh, so very, hard. It's, it's a hard thing to do, right? Because there's always that one yeah. person in the back of your mind like, oh, but if this person comes up to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's face it. Everybody in life seeks validation, right? Mm-hmm. We all mm-hmm. seek validation. Even though we try to say we don't care about what other people think of us, validation is something, I mean, look at the premise of how society is being run today, right? With social media. It's all based on validation, right? Of other people, right? Yeah. Mm, yeah. So Like follows or likes. Fo- yeah, it's all about that, it's right? All a bunch it's all bullshit. about that. So how do we move away from this narrative? Like, you know what I mean? Especially coming from a community that we come from where it's all about validation, right? It's all about what other people think. Like, for instance, I'm, I had a person that I was speaking to, um, a friend of mine, and we were discussing about, like, outward appearances, right? Like, what it, what mm. it means to be a Muslim outward appearance, 
not yeah. inner outwards, right? So yeah. he was telling me, you know, I dress dress modesty. Dressing modesty is not only for women; it's also for men, right? There's yeah. a, there's a certain way that both genders are supposed to dress, right? Um, for instance, if you're wearing tight pants, right, and you have a picture up as your display picture, what kind of attra- attraction are you going to get from that? Are you talking uh, what, about a man or a woman? A woman. Oh. What's, mm. So this is what he's telling me, right? He's like saying to me, what kind of attraction will you get from that? You're not going to get good attraction from that. And you're going to get a negative perspective. Oh my gosh, this girl, you know, she's showing her aura, she's showing her body. Like, you're not going to get good attention, right? Mm-hmm. Versus if you're, first of all, if you're covered up, like meaning if you're wearing an abayad and you're like, you're probably going to get more, um, a better perspective of you, right? If somebody comes across your profile. Me, from a logical standpoint, I, I, I don't look at somebody by the way they dress because you don't know how that person is, right? Like, mm-hmm. inside, yep, right? Yep. And she could have just started mm-hmm. wearing a hijab. She could have been 10 times worse yesterday, right? Exactly, exactly. Yes. So I feel like in our community, that's a huge thing. Like, for instance, you go to the masjid and you're wearing surwal, like, automatically, oh my gosh, look at her. She's wearing, what a... I mean, you're supposed to go to the masjid <laughs> well, ready to pray. Right, but there's also, they have... Um, what is it called? They have a... I know, but the Somali dakhan is, it doesn't matter if you don't wear hijab, you leave your house. It doesn't house matter if you don't pray. Abide. The first question is, I've noticed, I, mm. I want to I get your perspective on this, right? As being a guy. I've noticed yeah. that um, for Somali guys who are not in the best form, like that, that are not in their um, practicing form. Like, like they don't pray fajr. They, don't, they, mm. don't, they care very much about how a woman's dressed. When them themselves mm-hmm. are not, you know. I think it's like a projection. Like if the female is good, then the projection is that I'm good because God said that good females are for good men, right? So yeah. maybe, I mean, I feel those are like, I don't want to say it out loud, but like, you know, weak men think like that. But that's the thing. Our community, if you go to like you right now, if we're walking across the street with each other, we go to a Somali restaurant, right? You're not wearing hijab. I'm wearing hijab, right? You're going to get the cut eye. Guys, I wear a hijab though. Yeah, she wears a hijab. <laughs> but you would get the cut eye, right? 100%. So I, I've noticed that um, people from our generation are carrying that narrative even harder now, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't, I don't understand. My question to you, Mohammed, is, is like, what's your views mm-hmm. on that? Like, uh, are you like that? Like, yeah, like with your group, your cohort of friends and like the way that you guys just give us an idea as to you being a man. What I don't like if yeah. you think like that and um, what's your, your thoughts on that? Well, you know, like Susan said, uh, good men, are, uh, good women are good for good men and uh, fornicators are for <laughs> fornicating men are for fornicating women. Right. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> like. You, I agree with you guys that it's um, it's it's not fair to women because uh, there's good women that don't wear a hijab. I've seen a lot of righteous women that don't wear a hijab. I've seen a lot of righteous women that wear pants, and I've seen a lot of toxic girls that wear a bias. Mm-hmm. So you really don't know who's who at the end of the day. Me personally, I I don't look at a woman based on. Uh, her past experiences or her words, what she says. I look at, I look for a woman's character mm-hmm. because words and actions are, uh, can change, but a character is defined from a young age and it sticks with you for your entire life. Oh, so, okay. Well, you, you just, I, but how do you shake that? If you have a bad that, character, right? Younger, and then you wait. change. How you shake that off? That that's, was a, all- that's a very interesting thing that you just said right now. You said character is something that sticks with you from a young age, right? And it doesn't change. I personally don't yes. believe that. I think character can change with more, the more educated you become, right? Especially in the deen, the more mm-hmm. edu- educated you become, you move from jahiliya to becoming somebody who's more inclined with the, you know, the practicing of the deen, right? And that's how your character, yeah. I believe character is, can change. Why do you say from your perspective, character does not change? I, I look at character as um, your personality from a young age. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you're, I, I think what you're talking about is habits. Habits change. Like you can change your habits because at the end of the day, all we are is our habitual behaviors because 80% of our habits are redundant Mm -hmm. and you can change that. But your personality, I feel, is uh, something that grows with you at the same time and you just reverse engineer a new habit, good or bad. You just replace them 
Mm. Does that make sense? Uh, but uh, let me. It's like uh, when you replace a vice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, um, as you're when you, what you were talking about, let me get back to. It. I got a little off track. When you were asking me about men and why they want a woman that's covered up that no other man has touched. Nope. And okay. uh, she didn't say that, but no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. Continue. That's, that. that's, let's be real. That's that's basically what we're talking about. No, one hundred percent. That's well, true, I though. I no, but let's be honest. Well, it's true. true. I, I, yeah, that is. Yeah. What you said is exactly, profoundly, categorically true. That men do things Which like is that. Ignorant. But no, never been was, touched. And it's not. Go a little further. Has never been looked uh, at. No. <laughs> never been looked <laughs> at. Yeah. No other guys ever have. What I was talking more specifically is. What I was talking about more specifically was why men look at the exterior and not the interior, right? If you are really trying to look for that person that, you know, a Muslim. No, they'll look embodies- into the interior to after they've realized you've never left your house, you've never said hi to another man, this man is special. Like his ego is so fragile that he has to make sure that no person has ever doesn't even know his wife or female or whatever. Yeah. Like She's un- untouchable. Never been. Ah, that's mine. That's mine. On our own. That, like. Do you find that as being a, kind a toxic, of, a masculine trait? No, that's, that's a to- pseudo macho mm-hmm. bullshit. Yeah, it is a pseudo macho bullshit. Bravado. So do you? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I feel like um, the thing is, uh, it, it depends on the man. So I feel like if the man is tell the righteous, truth, it's the fobs. <laughs> no. What do you mean it's the fobs? <laughs> 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 Every mo- most guys want a girl that no other guy uh, has been with. But me and like um, I'd say like me personally, I can only speak on myself because every different guys have different opinions. Me personally, I don't care if a girl's been with uh, fifty guys. So or no. I'm just guys. gonna assume you're talking about fifty dinners with fifty different guys. <laughs> <laughs> with dessert, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll make a over 60 year olds while listening <laughs> keep it simple but a, a woman I, I feel like a woman shouldn't be defined based on what she what she's done because at the end of the day we're human men and women make mistakes yeah and I feel like uh, I've seen a lot of girls that a lot of girls now are um, living living freer than they were before new generation and it's, it's, uh, it only, it's, it's hard for them to understand the importance of uh, modesty because Allah, Allah gave them the, gave women the hijab to protect them from the, the evils of man's eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, I refer back to, uh, like sharks. When blood, when blood is in the water, sharks circle, right? Yeah. Just like you're showing your breath. Men are going to automatically talk at it like, oh, wow. She's trying to say she wants to get hollered at. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes you and can't no. Have your I, cake and eat it too. Because we've said this before, right? In another uh, podcast where women dress up for other women. Like, we just want to know that we look good. We're not really dressing it to get chased by all these disgusting men who are only but looking at certain. I get it. That's you got, the, what you guys have. You guys are different from men because you carry something worth, let's say, a million dollars in between your legs. <laughs> Not the same thing. If I'm walking around with yeah, but, a fishnet wife beater, my nipples are showing. <laughs> ain't nobody checking for me. Because <laughs> girls aren't like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I understand why girls are doing it, but that doesn't that doesn't defeat it's the fact that men are still going to look at them like that. Let's be real. It's for vanity, right? And whether it's for the same gender and whether it's for the... Op- I believe it's for the opposite gender. I don't agree with you on that. I believe it's for the no, opposite gender. No, we about, you know, depending on... Uh, yeah, beauty is power. And wh- but why do you think they do that to begin with, right? To get the attraction of men is because they feel like me- they are... If you had a pretty face, you probably wouldn't do it. Let's be honest. If you had a really yeah, gorgeous yeah. face, you wouldn't need to show but off your some test. of your other assets, right? What are you going to do? Wear a nahab? But both of you guys are beautiful women, mashallah. So you guys, every day you're battling with yourself. because you, Trust me, we're not. If you only seen what we're human. dressed at right now. I mean, I got rips in her shirt. Like, oh, it's supposed no, to have rips. Some <laughs> days you want to look good though, right? Some days yeah. you want to look good, right? Yeah. So I mean, that's a battle yeah, that you face every there's day. There's a difference between looking good and looking naked. 
You know what I mean? Like if I yeah. put a little bit of blush on, I mean, I think I look great. My clothes do not define what I wear. I mean, who I am. And I definitely yeah. don't wear revealing clothes, but like, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm just not catching on because uh, I, I feel like because of, I, I feel like the gender relations in our community is so horrible. It's very horrible. Like we don't know how to communicate with each other. Yesterday I was on this app called Clubhouse. Okay. And it's meant for exclusive. Profession- yeah, it's exclusive. And it's meant for professional de- like um, networking, right? But at nighttime, yeah. the shayadins come out. It's demon time, right? So I was in a room with like 200 Somalis and they were arguing the, oh my gosh, they were arguing amongst each other. And it basically, it was women against men and the way that they were talking about each other. So it was all Somalis. And then you had a couple of Ajinabis coming to the room and they were watching the way that we're talking to each other, the way that we were disrespecting each other. And wallahi, I'm so embarrassed. But at the same time, I was so fixated. I was in the room. I was, I was one of them. I was the audience member. You know what I mean? I love my people. Yeah, well, like, we're very funny, but at the same time, it's like, I've never seen, I don't know, like, if you're on Twitter or, like, if you see in social media, we're hardest on ourselves, mm-hmm. right? The, the way the men... Well, if anybody else comes at us, we'll go at us. Yes, collectively, we'll go at them. But the way we treat each other in terms of the way... Right now, there's a huge narrative with the Gen Z. So the people that... Not the millennials. Gen Are we Z? Gen Zs? No, we're mil- millennials. Gen Z right oh, now... 95 okay. to, like, 2004, 97, I think. Yeah. So they, they... Right now, there's a narrative where it's, like, men ain't shit. Men ain't... Sh- what is it? Men are shit. And the guys are saying women are shit. So they're both... Ain't shit or... Ancient, oh. sorry. Ancient. Okay. Yeah, ancient. So it's, like... I don't understand where this animosity came from. But then again... I, like I've had discussions. So with, women and men just assume that the other what they hate each other, it's, and it's specifically Somalis hating on each other. You, huh. you don't see yeah. the girl saying um, when they say men ain't shit. It, I think that has to do with like an educational level. Let's be honest. No, the ones a lot that of these are, people are educated, and they're using all these jargon talks, and they think they're very smart, and they're using all these like words and stuff like that. Furthermore, men ain't shit. Exactly. Just <laughs> you know, diluted down to men ain't shit, right? Okay, but. I guess I want to ask you, what's your take in terms of the gender relations? We're kind of going off base here, but the gender relations between um, men and women. Can I touch on that real quick before Mohammed answers? I think when it came to our generation, us millennials, it was almost, it was non-existent in the sense where our parents forbade it. You know, don't talk to boys, girl, guys, you know, like I think there was that separation, like we couldn't be cool with them and chill. But then I seen the ones that are just a little bit younger, like early 90s. And they kick with guys like it's nothing like, hey, we're going to go bowling. Let's all go. And I'm like, wow, we never had that opportunity. Like if you were chilling with the guys, something was wrong with you. Either you're a tomboy or you're a lesbo or you're something, but there was always that assumption. You couldn't, let's be honest. I mean, you gave me that face right now. Yeah, because I felt like. Did you chill with a lot of guy friends? Like it was when, nothing? When I was young, yeah. Mm. I think when you get to, when you get to I'm talking age, about like high school age. Yeah, high school. Okay, I think when well, you leave high school, odd. university. No, let's be real. Come on. I man, couldn't you have that. with the guys back in the days? Yeah, and my mom forbade it. Every day she's like, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. What are you doing? Put the skirt off. Skirt off. Nag batahai. Gabar batahai. Wahaga sobahai. So don't don't play with the boys anymore. I used to have to fake it. My brother was a snitch. Well, let me let me ask you guys a question. Like, both of you guys uh, grew up with your father in your house, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, passively. Passively. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like uh, your father has instilled self confidence in you? That passively. You, 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 Passively? What do you mean passively? No, I'm not saying passively. I meant it's. it wasn't my... It wasn't an active role. And I say that because yeah. he was in Somalia for a better part of my formative years. Yeah, from like mm-hmm. seven to like... I mean, he used to come down every single year until we turned yeah. 14. Then we all went back to Somalia. But um, he, he... I think he did a really good job when we were younger. Like when we were up until seven... He was, I don't remember my mom ever taking us outside. It was always my dad. Taught us how to skate, taught us how to swim, took us everywhere, went on long walks. That was his role. But then when he left, I think it was a little harder to jump back into that when we seen him full time again at 14. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why I say, I mean, he was somewhat active. Just, you know, he wasn't there on a day-to-day basis. Those first five years is when your subconscious is open informs um, your reality. Mm-hmm. So those first five years of your dad actually uh, helping you 
learn um, different types of skills were very vital for your self-confidence in the long run. If you look back, mm-hmm. your love for sports, right? Yeah. So you, you might not look at, you might not see it as a big deal, but just having a father be there is very important for a household. 100%. But what... Okay, so I've talked about myself being divorced on this podcast, and my kids have a relationship with their father, obviously, but we're not in the same home. So Mm. how does, because divorce is so high in just in our society, it's like, it's rampant. Especially in our community. Yeah. So, you know, some of us do, are not able to give that to our children where they have an active day-to-day two-parent household two-parent household so what's the happy medium you know what i mean like what would be a place where they're still i you know me i'm not married i don't have kids i have no experience in that i can't really explain that because i'm speaking blind right uh but i would from my perspective i'd say taking them back home interacting with uh family is uh, important so they can get an understanding of their culture mm-hmm. and give them a sense of identity. Mm-hmm. That's the best you could really do for your kids. At the end of the day, you're just your whole purpose as a parent is to prepare them for the real world, right? Yeah, I think that's a little. Um, you've done that though. You've, t- you've taken them back. I have life. taken them back to Somalia once, but that's very expensive. You know, like we're coming, <laughs> we're privileged as it is. Yeah. But yeah. for me to be like, okay, I'm going to drop everything. You know, like I got a mortgage to pay. So am I going to just give up on everything, go back home with the kids? Like, I don't know if I could afford that. Like, I don't see that as, you know, what's the second thing? What's another option? Because that is clearly not something a lot of people are able to do financially. Well, I feel like you, you personally are very highly intellectual and you have a thirst for knowledge. So I feel like your kids are going to also, it's going to have a ripple effect on your kids. Mm-hmm. And that, that curiosity that you have is always also going to be instilled in them. Yeah. So just finding ways to uh, pique their curiosity in, in terms of introducing them to different experiences at a young age mm-hmm. will allow them to uh, mentally grow. There's a, there's a saying in Somali, Nin on dul maran, akli malay. 100%. So a man who hasn't traveled doesn't have knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. But so, you know what's crazy? Because this new, we talk briefly about the new generation having kids. And I just realized it now when you said something is that we go into this like, oh, we want our kids to have nothing to do with Somalis. Like for the most part, I did not intermingle my kids. Not that it's not by choice, just because, you know, every time I want to go skating or hockey, there were no Somali kids there. Or anytime I put my kids in gymnastics, there were no Somalis. there. So they really didn't interact with them. They went to like a white daycare. They went to Islamic school when they finally met Somalis. But for the most part, it was Arab. So they never really intermingled with their people. So one year, my sister was working at a summer camp, right? And she's like, you should bring your kids. It's a Somali summer camp. I'm like, no, the Somali kids are going to influence my kids. I was was doing... That's parents told us, right? Exactly, right? Wallahi, Ali, my kids were the worst. You know what I mean? What? What happened? What happened? Every day my sister came home complaining about my kids. She's like, they interrupt. They have no respect. All the other kids are listening. They're not fighting. Your kids want to pick fights with everybody. I'm like, what? I thought the other Somali kids would be influencing my kids. She's like, no, your kids are the worst influences. And I was just like, what? I thought I was doing a good job. So I think we have to... We have to find the good in our community. It's hard when we're riddled with the newspaper headlines. Somali people are this, Edmonton, shootings, fights, gang related, all these things, right? We have to we have to unwind that narrative, remove that from our akligona and and see the good in our community so our kids can be enriched in this kind of environment because there's so much good with being Somali, yeah. but we forget that and then we raise kids who want to Take, take, remove themselves from that community. Like we're better than that. We, we, we don't chill with Somali. I see it. I see girls who move to fucking Saint. Sorry, Saint <laughs> Albert, and they're just like, yeah, I want my kids to only grow up with Adans. Like that's the environment our kids are going into now. So I think yeah. we have to like do what you said. You know, have them more 
in uh, immersed in our Indeed. community things, engaged in our community, and see the good in it. Because Wallah Adim, there's so much good. I just had to get a slap yeah. in the face to realize. <laughs> you know what I noticed though? The thing is, the thing is that um, I noticed that uh, you know, when we were kids, right? You would get in trouble. The parents would automatically blame the other kids. Oh, your kids are the ones who Oh, are our parents have never taken they, accountability. There's no accountability. And that's the reason why we have that mentality to begin with. Well, we've right? never taken accountability. Look at the guys. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. not taking accountability. But in general, our community, we, how does my mom say it? You always brush off. Like if, if somebody were to say, well, you left the spoons or you didn't do the dishes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but it wasn't my dish day. What are you talking about? Like, yeah. you're not willing to look at it and be like, oh, you know yeah. what? It was mine. Take accountability. Fix the issue. Even my kids do the same thing. Mm-hmm. They don't take accountability. It's, they're so defensive. Mm-hmm. We are a defensive mm-hmm. community. We're mm-hmm. always, oh, no, no, no. No, yeah. no, 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 no. You didn't even hear what the girl had to say. You're just yeah. automatically yeah. saying no. Yeah. Or was it my kid? Or this. Maya, it's okay to fuck up and fall down and fix it. As long as you take accountability, rectify the situation and move on from it and grow. We don't do yeah. that. We don't. We don't. But we but, can. Uh, but you know what I love about it? I feel like everything in life is a double-edged sword. Like, mm-hmm. There's good can come from it and there's bad. Too much of anything is bad for you. Too, uh, too little of anything is bad for you. So with the Somali community, I feel like we're very uh, ignorant, which is which is uh, a problem in a sense where we don't want to learn. We, we, uh, very we, we're stuck in our ways. We're very stuck in our ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I feel like that's actually a good thing in, uh, today's world because we live in such a confusing time with so many different narratives going on that only people that are headstrong will be able to, um, get anything really done. Because mm-hmm. there's so many distractions in today's world. So these, the, the things that we look at that are bad about our community can also be good if we can find a way to uh, direct our, our mindset, the mm-hmm. collective Somali mindset, yeah. into um, something that's positive. And I, I don't know if you guys ever watched Integration TV. Yeah. Uh, that's the Hodan whole thing. Yeah. And uh, she's, She's one of the most beautiful souls that um, I've ever seen. And um, her program really opened my eyes to how beautiful our community is and all the stories and the different successes that we've had across the world, which is mind-blowing if you look at it. In 30 years, we have uh, politicians in high places across the world. There's no other culture that's accomplished that. There's people, Somali people, that are successful in all types of industries, individuals. Mm -hmm. And we focus more on that little five to ten percent of uh, young people that are making mistakes instead of highlighting the good of mm. our community, which is me personally. I found a new love for Somali community, and I'll take all of that arrogance and ignorance and shit talking that we do, and I'll take it with a smile. I love it. It's entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> pretty big on call-out culture, so I don't know if it's entertaining. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what well, side I, you're on. Like I said, I was in that group chat. Well, I was just basically flapping your gums for just for the sake of just saying that you're angry. For no reason. Yeah. With no end goal. Like, no I won't blame it being on the young no ones. Yeah. So I, I just want to quickly, just quickly go back onto the topic here that we were discussing about rebranding. So, yeah, okay. um, in order for, you know, when you realize you need to do better in your life and, you know, you need to change your ways, what was the most difficult thing that you had to do? Like, cut off certain people? Was it, like, you know, I don't know, like, was it your environment uh, that you had changed? What was, what was the main thing that you had to, okay, you know what, I need to get rid of this so I can really focus on myself here? And, and also, uh, how difficult did you find it to be vulnerable? Because I feel like Somali men... I feel like they think it's... They're not they're allowed to be vulnerable. Yeah. It's like you don't have any testosterone if you're vulnerable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's it's, yeah. it's it's a sad narrative to have, but a lot of guys feel like being vulnerable does not make them a man or that it, it negates them from, you know, having... They're not allowed to be weak. ...tendencies and stuff. Yeah. You're not allowed to be weak. So if you could just touch on that. That's a yeah, lot of questions. Definitely. I feel like that's, uh, that's a... I'll, I'll start off by uh, saying that vulnerability is the highest form of strength Mm -hmm. because it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there, not knowing the outcome. 
So for young men that feel like vulnerability is uh, a weakness, they are very much so mistaken. Because if you cannot be vulnerable, you cannot be relatable. And uh, our whole purpose in life is to um, have a story. Everybody has a different story that's written by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And our responsibility is to share our stories with our brothers and sisters so they can learn from our mistakes and uh, share in our, our successes. And I feel like rebranding was something that I didn't realize was so difficult because everybody has a perception of you mm-hmm. and everybody will try to box you into their narrative of who you are. And never let you forget. So com- and never let you forget. But that also, um, it, it reminds me that because I'm stubborn and uh, headstrong, that the same thing that is a negative characteristic that I have, I had to learn how to use it to, de- to protect myself from other people's perception because at the end of the day um, stand for something or fall for everything so if you if you get caught up in trying to change the perspective of other people's opinion of you you will lose yourself but if you do have a goal and you start working towards it you will gain genuine self-confidence I'll, I'll give you an example when I was younger I felt like I had self-confidence, but I didn't have self-confidence. It was fake. My self-confidence was attached to uh, materialistic things, how other people treated me. That's not real self-confidence. That's uh, a temporary filth. And uh, I didn't realize that I didn't have self-confidence until I was broke. And I had no money. I had no uh, no way of... Uh, uh, building myself mm-hmm. and when I realized that I don't even have the ability to express myself and tell people that I'm broke mm-hmm. that's when I realized I don't have self-confidence and self you can't say you have self-confidence until you're comfortable being broke having, having nothing, nothing. Mm-hmm. yeah and being able to talk about it and say I don't have nothing I need help being asking for help is real self-confidence because at the end of the day all of our successes is tied to each other so I feel like um, rebranding was was um, hard, but I had to con- constantly tell myself that uh, who I believe I am mm-hmm. is who I am, and mm-hmm. I need to take steps to better myself and not let the let people affect me with their words. And like you, you were asking me, did I have to separate myself? from friends and family, definitely. You have to be able to sit alone and think. So my experience for two and a half years of being in Somalia, separated from the world of Canada and all the stuff that we go through on a day-to-day basis as a Somali Canadian, allowed me to process all the things that I was going through and uh, allowed me to really see who was there for me, who was really my friend, who was just there for entertainment, who were the, uh, friends by associations, also sharing uh, commonality. That's not a real friend. I feel like a real friend is somebody that you can disagree with and have different opinions and still move forward. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, so just... So we got to wrap this up. So I'm going to ask you one more question just to like close this. Um, you yeah. kind of did give an advice. I was going to ask you, the last question was basically, what's your advice for men who carry, you know, the pseudo macho bravado um, that, you know, being vulnerable is not, you already answered the question to be honest with you. <laughs> but basically, what's your advice for people out there? Huh? Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I could say for, for, um, it's for men and women because there's, it's a control thing, right? Mm-hmm. People want to people want to control their environment and control their narrative, mm-hmm. but we in all in all, all actuality we really don't have control over what happens. All we can really control is ourselves. So 
so people who I feel like have this um, macho, men who have this macho image in the in their head where they have to always be tough and always uh, keep things to themselves and deal with problems on their own. Mm-hmm. They, I feel like they, uh, I would advise them to find somebody to talk to because there's only so long you can be strong. We are not created strong. Every single person in this world is weak. Absolutely. We all have weaknesses. And if you want to go through life with an imaginary uh, thought in your head that uh, you are going to be strong all the time, when you do, when hardships do arise, you will not be able to uh, handle them. And because of the fact you were focused on being macho, you will push away people that really care about you. And in the long run, you will be alone. And typically, the, the, that's the process. People that tell you what you don't want to hear are typically the ones that do care about you the most. Would you say that? Yeah. Is right? For the most part. A hundred percent. And I feel like, yeah. yeah, but I feel like more so, I feel like uh, I had that problem where I would push away the, the people, like the, the women that really genuinely cared about my life, my mom, my sisters, my cousins, uh, friends, when they would uh, advise me when I was doing something wrong, mm-hmm. I would get defensive and push them away instead of uh, letting them finish and trying to understand their perspective. Mm-hmm. So being able, that shift in mindset for me where I look at people when they're talking and trying to understand their perspective mm-hmm. really allowed me to remove the emotions of what they're saying away from myself so I can understand better and learn from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's very important to Allahi because I know personally me, sometimes when people are telling me the truth, it's very hard for me not to see that as a put down and more of a yeah. constructive criticism. You know what I mean? And Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And I've noticed that people who tell you the truth, you know, are the ones who really care about you. Um, and the people that salah you and that tell you, it's okay, you're doing great, you're doing this. For the most part. Because most somebody part. could be you know, salahing you because they're really trying to get you supportive. They don't want to crush your dreams. But but then... And the opposite if, you know... But, somebody could be just harsh because they're just jealous of your success. <laughs> but if they're telling you something that you believe too is true, whether it's com- coming intentionally yeah. good or For bad... For the most part, right? Like still look at it as something that's beneficial towards you. That's what I'm looking at, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, funny because like we all uh, we all believe something about ourselves and it's hard to swallow um, constructive criticism. criticism yeah or or separating yeah. constructive criticism from flat out criticism um, sometimes yeah. the two are you think they're the same that everyone's exactly. just hating and but some people are really just giving constructive criticism I think that's a better way to uh, define the two I feel like the only way you will be able to differentiate the two is through life experience. Mm-hmm. Like you have to put yourself out there. You have to fail. You have to get hurt. There, there's a saying by uh, Rumi is, uh, that keep breaking your heart until it's wide open. Oof, I do not want to do that. <laughs> but I get it's it. It's not easy. But, but yeah, like if you're able to uh, overcome all, all those... Uh, the criticism, the pain, the struggles, you're going to continue to grow, continue to get stronger. And I feel like being uncomfortable means you're growing. And mm. being comfortable means you're moving backwards in life. Absolutely. 100%. So being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. You got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. There you go. You got to put yourself in a super awkward situation. And just to wrap this up real quick here, it sounds like to me that spiritual therapy was something that was like the driving force for you to, you know, for your rebranding. So meaning the religion played a huge, significant part. A hundred percent. I'd say a lot. Allah blessed me in a sense where he opened the doors for me and allowed me to turn back to him. And uh, I'll say prayer is the most important thing. That connection with your Lord is the most vital thing for this world Mm -hmm. because I feel like Allah created us as slaves. We don't have free will. I feel like we only have a choice of what we are slaves to. So what you love is what you're a slave to. You can can love money 
you're a slave to money. You can love your spouse, you're a slave to your, your spouse or your kids. But if you love Allah, you're, you're a slave to Allah, you're free from everything in this world. Very profound, Walai. I love that. I don't know if you watched, you watched the Joe Rogan podcast? Yeah, I've seen it for okay. yeah. So Dave Chappelle was on it oh. with Donald Rollings, and they were talking about... Yeah. Donald Rollings? Rollings. What, how do you pronounce his last name? Rollins? Ooh. The, like the, the short guy that's... Donald Rollins. Yeah. Oh, okay. So anyways, uh, there was... Ashley Larry. It was hilarious, right? No, he said Ashley Larry. Oh, Ashley Larry. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he said something. So Donnell said this surprisingly. And he said, um, I had, he was talking about, you know, his cook, his uh, love for cooking. So he was talking, he said this. He said, I had all the, I had the recipe, but I didn't have all the ingredients to all the ingredients to make that dish. So Dave Chappelle said, yo, that's very profound. And you can apply that to everything in life. Meaning Allah gives us, the recipe. The recipe. It's up to you to acquire yep. the, the, knowledge. the ingredients. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? To pass yep. the test. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's a great <laughs> That's a great one. Um, yeah. I think that's a, because, you know, it's been over an hour, which is great. You know, it was amazing talking to you, Mohammed. We appreciate your time so much for carving a little bit of time for us and being a part of our podcast. We hope it's enlightening and, you know, people benefit from it. You know, um, if you want to say any last mm, final thoughts before we end this and then, you know, again, thank yeah. you again. I, I really, like, I'm honestly, I feel like I really appreciate what you guys are doing right now and vocalizing your opinion and uh, your knowledge and sharing it with the world because, in all actuality, our purpose in life is to teach, actively learn, right? Mm -hmm. And and I feel like Somali women, they don't get enough credit in a sense where I feel like Somali women are special. Like, mm -hmm. there's nothing in this world like a Somali woman. And now Sorry. Somali women have, mm -hmm. and the hardships that they go through on a day-to-day, -day, and I just wanted to say I really appreciate the fact that you guys are speaking up and uh, wearing religion on your head, that's something special. Every single day going outside in today's world with all the uh, negativity towards the staff, keep going. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. That was heartfelt. That was, uh, I wish I had emotions. <laughs> that was so nice to hear. <laughs> Again, thank you so much, Mohammed. All right, that's a good way to segue out of here. Thank you guys so much. I promise we will be more consistent. Just stop reminding us. Mohammed, um, thank you again for uh, just giving us your time. You know, like, again, until next time. Eyal Baraf. Sky's the limit. I pushed you four, five, infinite. It wouldn't be no such thing as jealousies or be felony. Strictly living longevity to the destiny. I thought I'd never see, but reality struck. Better find out before your time's out. What the fuck? If I rule the world, imagine that. I free all my